You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. It is good to see everybody here today in our second service, and uh, I trust that you have met some folks. It's been great to meet some new faces and some new visitors who are coming and checking the bridge out today. We say welcome to you. But, uh, you know, I did a lot of uh, uh, preparation in this. I was trying to think, what would be a good topic to preach on today? And I decided the resurrection of Jesus. You know, the Bible has a lot of subject matter, and after pouring through it and working my way, I came to that conclusion, I might want to talk about the resurrection. Everybody good with that one today? All right, so we've been in the gospel of, uh, for those who are new, we've been in the gospel of Matthew for the last couple of months, and so I'm going to stay with that, and we're going to look at Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus. So would everybody stand, if you would, for the reading of the word, and it's Chapter 28 of Matthew, verses 1 through 15, so it's a little longer in our reading than we're accustomed to, but I'm going to ask you how many will hang in there and finish it. All right, so come on, let's all read together. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that the word of God would open our heart, penetrate, And we ask that it would influence our thinking, that it would influence our perceptions and our beliefs. I pray, God, for people today who need you to do something. And I ask, God, they would see you are a God who just hasn't worked in history. I pray they'll see a God who works in the today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 
Amen. The Lord bless you. Be seated. So we're looking at the resurrection of Christ today. And specifically, we're going to be looking at Matthew's account as it relates to the Jewish people that he was writing. The people that he was writing have just been through a very devastating circumstance. And that's the fact that the temple and Jerusalem were wiped out in 70 A.D. Over a million Jews have been killed and the rest are scattered or in slavery. It was so devastating, they would not return to that land as a nation until 1948. So you can see the level of devastation. So these people are just saying, where was God? Why didn't he have our back? And what's really interesting is this. He's using the story of Jesus because the tragedy of Jesus' death, but also the triumph of his resurrection all happened during Passover. And ironically, the Jewish people, their tragedy... When their temple was wiped out and the people were devastated and the city was leveled, also happened during that particular Passover. So there was the mentality of, of all the things that God should have been protecting us, it's now, I mean, we were actually here doing his stuff at his house. How could God let this happen? And he's showing how the activity of God showed up in Jesus' life and then also how it's going to be showing up in their life. So there's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of uh, messages that are being sent through the way that he tells the story. But one of those dynamics, why is Easter such a big deal to us? Why, look, today, all across not just our nation, around the world, the attendances are at a peak high. There's more people uh, attending a church at this particular time around the world than any other time. Why do, why do Christians celebrate Easter in such a big way? Well, some of you go, well, duh, pastor, it's called the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you know, you're the pastor. You're supposed to know this stuff. Well, yes, that's true. But what I want to give you another, another insight. We're actually celebrating the fact that where Christianity is most vulnerable God has been able to keep the enemies at bay that have come against the faith. What do I mean by that? I'm going to take you through just a quick journey in the scripture to help you see something. And it's this. The resurrection of Jesus is the greatest event of all time. Okay? Now, I know that there are people who don't have biblical values. I understand there's people who have a, a whole other set of perceptions in life, and they would just look at it and go, well, actually, it's the greatest deception that really has ever been put on people's lives, and I don't know what those people, that bless them that they believe that kind of crazy story. And what I want you to recognize is this. Humor, jokes, mockery is not evidence. Sometimes the world will employ sarcasm to try to diminish or minimize something that is true. And here's the point. Sarcasm is not evidence. Mockery is not evidence. Jokes are not evidence. But somehow they think if they can crack enough jokes, it will cause people to be disillusioned because they'll say, well, I, yeah, obviously that must not be true or this wouldn't be so funny. No, it's just humor. You just got to understand that. Humor is not evidence. So why is the resurrection the greatest event of all time? And it's really this. Did you know at the same time, the resurrection of Jesus is where Christianity is the most vulnerable? You say, what? Come on, I didn't come to church to have my faith rock. What are you doing? Hang on a second. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the scriptures that show this. Of all the places where Christianity is vulnerable, it's the resurrection of Jesus. What do I mean by that? Adversaries of Christianity do not have to prove the entire Bible's false. 
They don't have to start in Genesis and work their way through and chapter by chapter by chapter. Christianity is the only thing that I know that says, let me just tell you where it all hinges. Let me just serve it up to you. If you disprove this one thing, you don't have to worry about everything else that was said. It's the only, they only have to disprove the resurrection of Jesus as false. Now, think of this. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead. You've got all these massive resources politically, militarily, education, you got the diversity of cultures. Wouldn't it make sense that if there was evidence out there, they, they would have circulated it and put this thing to rest so that all these billions of people could find something else to do with their life? Because after all, the adversaries of Christianity will often say, it's those Christians and their values that stop our agenda. If they didn't believe such archaic values, we would be able to get some of our stuff going and these new initiatives and these new things that we think culture ought to be. But it's those Christians who adhere to such archaic values. And I'm like, well, let me tell you how to get rid of us. Disprove, disprove the resurrection of Christ, then I can tell you, everybody will go home. But they don't. Why? Because they can't disprove it. See, some of our young people need to hear this. Christianity can handle the scrutiny. The resurrection of Christ can be questioned hard. And I'm telling you, it can withstand the barrage. It's, it will stand. It's been 2,000 years and they still can't disprove the resurrection. If they had, we would have all heard of it by now. Now you say, well, I, I wish you wouldn't have said it. We're vulnerable. Oh, I'm not the one who said it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 14 and 17. Let's all read this together, would you? Come on. And if Christ has been raised and our preaching is useless and so is your faith. So it says if Christ has not been raised, your preaching is useless and your faith okay, is futile. Now, look at this. Read the rest of it. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Paul's the one who said it all boils down to the resurrection. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, it all collapses. You don't have to go after the apostles. You don't have to go after the, whether Isaiah is accurate or not. You don't have to challenge the language of, of Psalms. You don't have to chase down all the... All you have to do is nail down the resurrection, disprove it, it's over. And they haven't been able to do that. Wow. And so... I shared this a little bit on Good Friday. Matthew devotes seven chapters to the last five days of Jesus' life. I mean, the clock literally slows down, and he is going sometimes hour by hour, sometimes even minute by minute. And the reason he does that is, is he's trying to show the people who are these Jewish people who are devastated and they're trying to say, where is God? He says, let me show you where God is. And let me show you how he shows up in tragedy. Let's look at how God helped Jesus, the son of God, in the same way he will help you. The same way that he touched him and worked with him in his tragedy, he will work in, in, in your tragedy. And out of that ashes, God brought the most miraculous event. He resurrected Jesus, and he's giving them hope on the same thing. You're, you may think your life is over, but it's not over. We have hope. 
We have purpose. Sometimes we just have to have our faith, our hope and our faith renewed. Sometimes we have to have our purpose redefined because things shift and things change. So we're going to delve into the story and look at a variety of things related to this. So let's everybody begin. Read number one with me out loud. Come on, everybody. When we follow Jesus, we can experience new dimension of God's supernatural activity. You ask people, would you like to see God's supernatural activity? Yeah, have you ever seen it? No. Next question, are you a follower? Because there's another dimension of God's supernatural activity when you're a follower. Many times I've had people tell me, I've never seen God do that. I can't believe sometimes that you would stand up and preach what you say. Have you ever seen God do that? I say, yes. Have you ever seen God do that? I tell them, no. I say, are you a follower? Sometimes people are trying to get things from God without having to commit to him. And that, in essence, just makes God a genie in a bottle. I just take from him what I need, but I'm not having any kind of connection and following with it. I just want what he delivers, but I'm not buying what he's selling. And you read here, after the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And what you recognize here is this, they continue to follow Jesus even though they believe in their heart that he has died and he's buried, they still have chosen to follow him. Let me tell you this, you get a lot revealed about your life when something in you dies or something around you dies or something that you believe in dies and where you maintain your commitment says a lot about you. These women stayed the course and when they were allowed they went to the tomb others could have gone but they chose not to but they chose to go they chose to stay following not even sure what that was going to look like because Jesus was dead but they stayed the course I can tell you this when I stay the course and it makes sense I'm following out of reason but when I stay the course and it makes no sense now I'm doing it in faith that's that's when you get tested I'm not doing it because it makes sense I'm doing it because that's what he says to do and I just got to trust him and I just got to have faith. Let me tell you, there's a new doorway of God's supernatural activity when we step into relationship with him. We'll see things other people don't see. We'll experience things that other people don't get to experience. We're not saying we're better, but that's the byproduct of being in relationship. Everybody said amen. amen. Number two, read this out loud. God's supernatural activity does things we can't do. These women had a problem. They were going to go to the tomb, and there were two issues that they did not know how they were going to handle. Number one, there was a, there was a rock in front of the tomb, and it weighed about 3,000 pounds. How are they going to get it to, how are they going to move it so that they could do what they felt that they needed to do when they got there? The second thing that they had a problem with, there was a Roman garrison there, and that tomb had a Roman seal. So somehow, even if... They were going to have to figure out, they knew the soldiers weren't going to break the seal and move the tombstone for them. So the challenge was, there's a Roman seal and there's Roman guards, and only the one who approved the seal has the power to break that seal. Not even those guards who are present had the authority to do that. They were even to defend that seal with their life. 
And even if one of those guards said, well, go ahead, if you think you can move it, but we're not going to join in on this, they still had a problem. How, do, how, do, how, are these, how is a small group of women going to move a 3,000-pound stone? And then you read the story. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Now, I just, sometimes we read it and we keep going. Can you just, I'm going to pause a minute. The stone's been rolled back, and it says the angel is sitting on the stone. I mean, you know, you just kind of picture, shouldn't there be a like, more holy approach to this? You know, like this, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, like this, or like this. And it says the angel is just sitting there. So it's like the women walk up and the angel says, hey, what's up? <laughs> sitting on the stone. It just doesn't provoke a very holy look, does it? And then it says this, his appearance was, was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Problem resolved. Stone and soldiers, both resolved. And what you recognize is this. God's supernatural activity has the ability to work in my tomorrows even though I'm just in today. I'm confined to time and space. I can't do anything about tomorrow. I can't do anything about next week or next month. I can only do what is in front of me today. I, I can only influence the time and space in which I occupy. But God's activity says, that's no problem. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So I was there at the beginning and I'll be there at the end. And so you need me to work on Monday. It's Sunday, but I can, I can work Monday. God says, I can work Tuesday, I can work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I can start working on next Sunday. What you find is, is the activity of God has the ability to go ahead of you. By the time that day arrives, you can find that God has solved so many problems that you don't have to handle now. His activity does things that we can't do. Things that are bigger than us to handle in the here and now, and the ability to work in our future, that when our future shows up, it's smooth. It's resolved. It's taken care of. We thought we were going to have to have some crisis. We were going to have to deal with, and you find that he's already managed it. You see, those people who had lost everything that Matthew's writing to, they needed to hear that. They needed to hear that God works in the todays, but he also runs ahead and says, there's a rock you can't move, but I got that covered. And oh, by the way, there's a bunch of Roman soldiers that you can't, they did have Roman soldiers. God says, I can handle those too. If you will give me your todays and your tomorrows, watch what I can do. My wife and I oftentimes just, in, because of how things have played out in our life, we feel very blessed, very favorable. And I've, we, I even said this to her yesterday. I said, I wish I would have discovered sooner in life the, the, the thought of never tell God how to make me happy. Because he's done a whole lot better job of making me happy with me not telling him what it needs to be. You know, we, we, and then I said, can you imagine if God would have given us the desires of our hearts 15, 10 years ago? Yeah, that, that wouldn't have looked real good. I'm so glad we just said, you know what? Why don't you show us what you want us to do? We're in, we're good, we'll be there. He has the ability to work in your tomorrows. Don't try to tell him what it ought to look like. Just say, show me what you want tomorrow to look like, and I'm all in. I thought, you, you know, like, amen, <laughs> praise God, good point, Pastor Greg, yeah, go. 
All right, number three, read it out loud. God's supernatural activity challenges man's social constructs. If you haven't recognized by now, cultures, ours included, all around the world, we have pecking orders. And from time to time, it comes to a head, and it becomes, uh, there's tension, and it's, re- some, it's based on sometimes race and education and economics and all these various things, but it's discrimination. Now, yeah, if you look in our, in our past, you see that we've had a number of challenges related to that. And we call them social constructs. They're different from country to country. But the bottom line is it's, it's, it's just a legal way to make discrimination legal. And sometimes we deal with those successfully. Sometimes it's messy. But we need to understand that God also looks at social constructs and goes, yeah, you guys have got it all wrong. Let me help you. And this is what you have in the story. So I have to tell you so that you can appreciate how this plays out in the story. Let me explain it. In the Jewish world, there was a pecking order. God is at the temple. How does God deal with people? Well, God has a pecking order. First of all, there's the high priest. You know, he's the guy that goes into the holies of holies once a year. Then there's the priest courtyard. So if you want something, you have to get to the priest who takes it to the the holy place. Well, then the next courtyard is Jewish men. Notice I said Jewish men. It's not men. It's Jewish men. And then the next court on the uh, further away is Jewish women. And then the last court out there is Gentiles. So there was this pecking order even to get to God. The high priest, he could get closest to God. Then it was the priest, then it was the Jewish man, then it was the Jewish women, and then it was the Gentiles. That's that's what they were taught. This is how God reveals himself. This is how God communicates. That's the chain of command. And then when you come to the story of Jesus' resurrection, you find that God doesn't honor the social construct. He doesn't do what they've been told that God does. Don't you hate it when people misrepresent you? Well, I heard you say, well, I never said that. Yes, you did. I'm telling you, I did not say that. And they, they said, well, I know you did. I said, well, I know I didn't. I don't like it when people attribute things to me that, saying that I said it and I didn't, and I'm assuming you're the same way. So how does God handle the fact, that's not how I told you to do this? So let me question number one. Who were the first people to learn about the resurrection? It was the guards. It says they were struck with fear. They became like dead men. Let's go to the temple. God starts in the furthest out court. He starts with the Gentiles. Hey, man, those Gentiles didn't even have a relationship with Jesus. That's all right. Jesus will start there, too. It was, the, it, was, it was the guards, the Roman guards who were first to see the resurrection of Jesus. Then the angel said to the woman in verse, the women in verse 5. So now he's in the Gentile court. Now he comes to the Jewish women court. What do you mean he's in the Jewish women's court? He has to work through the Jewish men and they'll tell the ladies. God says, well, that's your social construct. That's not mine. And I'm tired of you misrepresenting me. That's not how I work. So I'm going to tell the women. 
because I know they'll tell people. <laughs> My wife said, you don't want to say that. I said, baby, look at it this way. If God would have told the men, they would have gone like this. Hmm, yeah. They would have fist pumped the angel, walked away, and just, you know, word would not have gotten out. I'm just telling you. He bypassed the guys because they knew, he knew they don't talk. And this was not supposed to be, you know, kept silent. So he skipped over them. So that, that, that redeems the story, right? Okay. Then it says, now get this, because I need to put this up. While the women were on their way to the disciples, you back it up in verse 11, it says some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests. So it's the Roman guards, then the Jewish women who were followers, then it was reported to the chief priest. Now I want you to recognize Two of the three categories that got the story first were not even followers of Christ. They were actually adversaries. See, this is one of the tensions that the world has a problem with because it was their people who said, yeah, something happened. We were there. We don't like it. We don't approve of it. In fact, we tried to stop it, but it's kind of, you know, when a guy walks out of a tomb, it's just a little hard Stop the story. Two of the three categories that God initially notified were not even followers of Jesus. They were actually the resistors. Yeah, usually, and then, actually, actually, I'm sorry. It was, the last group was the disciples. See, cults do it the other way around. If it's a cult, they have an inner circle, and they come up with a story, and they tell you they have a secret knowledge, a secret wisdom, a secret this, a secret that, and then they go out and tell people that they saw it, and of course you go, well, where, where, well, you know, it's a closed group, you've got to be a part of the group, you've got to have a secret code, you know, you've got to know the secret handshake and the secret words, and then you get in. But since, so, you're just going to have, well, why can't I see that? Well, you know, you would if you knew the secret handshake and the secret language. But you don't, so you're just going to have to take our... So that's, that's how cults, they have a small group that is, in, that is in charge of all the information and dispensing of information. And it's just ironic, they're always the only ones that are there when something happens and nobody else sees it. And God says, I'll, I, I can do that in reverse order. I'll make my adversaries my witnesses. I'll blow them away. He actually went in reverse order. It was his inner circle who got the word last. God took the social construct and he said, yeah, you got it backwards. And what you find is, is this. Sometimes if you read the scripture, you start to see these social constructs getting dis dis dismantled by God. The apostle Paul wrote this. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That's a guy who used to contribute to the old social construct. And he realized, yeah, that's not God's idea. That was our idea, and he's done with that. And they all had to change. And I love when you go to Revelation where it says that every tribe, every nation, every language was represented in heaven. Wow. Tells us a lot, these constructs that we sometimes come up with. God says, no. That's your idea, not my idea. You got it backwards. 
The resurrection was a change, was a shift in the regards. Number four, read this out loud. God's supernatural activity judges and blesses. The same appearance caused by an angel caused two different reactions. It says that the soldiers saw an angel and they were so afraid they shook and became like dead men. The same angel shows up to the women and he says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. Sometimes people will say, if I see God this, if I see God that, I might believe. And I go, well, you, do you understand the condition of your heart determines whether God's revelation is judgment or blessing? If I'm going to have a revelation, if I'm going to have a supernatural revelation, I, I want to be right with Jesus. Because I don't want to be struck with fear and end up looking like a dead man. Because that presence will be in, in conflict with my sinful nature. And those two can't coexist. One has, one has to yield. And I can tell you it's not going to be him. So I need to have my life right so that that same presence blesses me. From time to time, this has happened here at the bridge. I know you think that every time I preach, everybody just loves me and just sends all kinds of wonderful information in my direction. Not always. I can, I can preach a message and get an email from somebody and they're like, man, God changed my life. The blinders came off. I saw this. I saw that. God did this. God did that. I recognize my name. And all of a sudden, Pastor Greg, I have resisted so many times. And I was when you said, or this happened, man, and when you gave that chance to accept Christ, I changed my life. I can get an email or some kind of form of communication from somebody else in the same service who says, I can't believe you have the audacity to say some of that stuff. Where do you get that? That is so far off. How can you lead people astray? God, have mercy on your soul. May God judge you. That's terrible. And I'm like, wow, from over here it's a blessing. Over here it's judgment. You say, well, what do you do? What do you say? You know, years ago when I was younger, I'd get on my keyboard. I'll say, I'll show you. Now, now I don't do that, you know. With, with, with age comes a little wisdom. <laughs> now I recognize from out of the heart the mouth speaketh. I don't see the things that they say about me. I don't see the things that they're accusing. I see the wound in the heart that produces those words. I think, what's going on in a heart that would produce that kind of words? Because I know from the very same service that somebody's life was changed. And those words were a blessing. Those words were confirmation. Those words were received. And now those very same words is anger and bitterness, rage. And I don't think I'm the one who caused it. I just think I'm the one who revealed it. It was... They, it was always in them. It's just the service exposed it. So I don't get, I actually do the opposite. I'll put my hand on the screen. I'll put my hand on a card, a note, a letter, whatever. And just say, oh God, heal them. Because they can't hear what I said. They can't hear what you're saying. If the pain of the wound is louder. A lot of times people may spew on you. They're not spewing at you. It's the wounds of the heart that's talking. You just happen to be a convenient outlet 
It's the ability to look past some of that stuff when they make all these statements and these, these, use these rhetorics and accusations. And you just go, man, there's a lot going inside of that heart that would produce such vileness and anger and rage. And sometimes I say this, even incoherency. Have you ever noticed when people get mad enough, they get incoherent? Yeah. Number five, everybody read it out loud. God's supernatural activity through Jesus was now in the marketplace. The Jews had been taught God is at the temple. Now the temple's gone. So the question is, where's God? That was one of the reasons we we were always taught God's at the temple. So you go to the temple and you make sacrifices, you give things to the priest who does this on behalf of you because that's where God lives, that's where God's presence is. Now that that's gone, the question is, where's God? So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I mean... Okay, pause. Can you imagine going down the street and somebody that has died walks up to you on the street? Greetings. You know, you're just like, I don't know, you just, greetings just seem sort of low key. Shouldn't you say something a little more profound? Like, behold. I don't know, you know, just greetings. What was their response? They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Did you know that that didn't happen at the temple or a synagogue? It happened in the marketplace, right there on the street. And what he's showing them, God is available to you, right here, right now, where you're at. In fact, he's greeting you. The real question is, what is your response back to him? Yeah, you're right. You're lost. You don't know what you're doing. And he's telling them the activity of God is no longer confined to four walls. Man, it's available. And I tell you the same way. Do you understand that this is a gathering where that we experience a dynamic that we can't get by ourselves? But did you know that Jesus is with you Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday? Did you know that the activity of God goes with you? He's not going to say, hey, see you next Sunday. And Jesus just takes a seat here on the front row on the bridge and he waits for six days. No, he goes with you. So where you are. So let me encourage you. One of the things in this dynamic is this. When you encounter people, look for the activity of Jesus going on in that relationship. Don't listen to me. Don't say, well, you know, if you need prayer, man, you be there Sunday. And they have prayer teams at the end of service and I'm telling you what. No, no. Jesus is with you. If you recognize your friend needs prayer, just say, hey, I don't want to do anything to draw attention, embarrass you, make this a weird thing. But can I tell you, I'd pr- I want to pray for you right now because Jesus is here. Right here. Jesus is here. And I, I, I want to pray for you. Jesus is not about location. It's about accessibility. He's everywhere. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the ability to take Jesus into the marketplace where we are I can't tell you how many times I've prayed for people over a lunch, over an appointment, <laughs> over Skype, over Zoom. You know, just, just saying, hey, before we go, how do I pray for you? 
as I'm, as I'm meeting with a person. And they don't, some of these folks don't even go to the bridge. But you know, I've never had anybody say, oh, no, 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 no. You're not sucking me into that stuff. I've had people look at me and go, you would do that. I said, would I do it? Uh, you get me, you get Jesus. <laughs> so I'm just saying, how do I pray for you? Did you know there's never a hesitation? They always, it's amazing. They know what they need prayer for. They go, they never say, well, let me give me, give me a minute. It's amazing. How do I pray for you? They have something right there. Ask them. I challenge you, be the hands and feet and the mouth of Jesus. Everybody said amen? Here's the last one. Everybody read it out loud. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we have hope for our resurrection. So this is backing it up into chapter 27. I referred a little bit to this on Good Friday. But I want you to see it ties in. It says, at that moment, this is when Jesus died, at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Okay, does everybody see it ends with a period? You know what a period means in English? It means that thought is now complete and we're continuing the next thought. Now it's usually connected, but it's just telling you that this, that, that now ends that thought. Now look at this. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Yeah, you don't see that in the Passion of Christ movie. A bunch of dead people walking out of the graveyard. But look how it, look how it is stated. It says when Jesus died, the tombs opened and they came to life. But they did not go into the city until Jesus was resurrected because he was the first fruits of resurrection. I know it sounds creepy. People hung out at the graveyard. He said, well, why didn't anybody see him? Well, it's real easy because it's Passover, it's a Sabbath, and those areas were off limits, it would make you unclean. So these people, their tombs are open when Jesus dies, and they're just hanging out. I, can't, I can only speculate with the conversation. So where do we go from here? I don't know, I guess we've been told to wait. Uh, Jesus, uh, somebody said we gotta wait for Jesus and then, then, then we can go into the city. So Jesus is resurrected, and now they go into the city. Now, like anybody else, you go back to familiar places and familiar people, right? I mean, we go see family. We go see, I just, I'm just trying to think what that must have been like to hear a knock at the door. You open the door, and there's your friend and relative that you buried three days ago. Hi, I'm back. See, how do you, and notice this more than one, how do you contain that? Roman government has everything at their disposal. How do they contain that? They can't. You can't stop just a man who's been resurrected from the dead, the Son of God. You can't stop a bunch of people who've been resurrected from the dead. You can't stop that. You don't have enough clout. You, and by the way, Lazarus is still walking around. Okay, I'm just saying. That's, that's why the scripture points and says the resurrection is the vulnerability. You, you disprove that, Christianity collapses. 
So it's like God said, watch me strengthen that position. It just won't be my son who is resurrected. I'm going to resurrect a bunch of holy people. But here's the other part. Did you know there's another vulnerability inside the resurrection? And that, resu- that vulnerability is you and me. Our resurrection. The enemy is not done. We're going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verses 12 and 13 and everybody read this with me. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. Wow, he flips it around and says, if there's no resurrection for us, then that means Jesus didn't resurrect. So that explains the big conflict. See, the enemy lost the first battle with Jesus' resurrection. This is why Revelation looks the way that it does, is because he says, if I can't stop Jesus from being resurrected, how about I try to stop yours? And so you have this massive battle in the book of Revelation to wipe out mankind and to stop this resurrection and to stop Jesus from coming back again because he recognizes there is one more vulnerability in Christianity and that's the promise that you and I will be resurrected in Christ. So he's going to do everything he can to stop that. And it will be a nasty battle. But one that Jesus will win for us. Let me tell you this, if he has that kind of power over death, he can change your life. He has power over your sin. He has power over the things that grip you. He has power over your fear. If Jesus has that ability to break the power of death, he has the power to break the power of sin in your life today. You are not without hope. You have hope. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand across this place as we wrap up the service this morning. But can you lift your hands? Come on, I know that's uncomfortable. Come on. But this is a God who deserves this kind of praise. I don't praise Him because I feel comfortable. I praise Him because He deserves it. Come on, let's do that right now.